Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss. And I'm John Covey. Every week, John and I cover some of the most important aspects of crowdfunding and Kickstarter. That's right, Richard, and we have a lot of fun doing so, don't we? We do. Uh, Now, John, you have successfully launched 11 Kickstarter projects over the last four and a half years, and I think you've raised, is it $1.3 million? That's right, just over $1.3 million. Well, with that experience and background, I know you've learned a tremendous amount of things about Kickstarter and that you've shared those in the past on the show. Yes, that's right. Uh, And in this episode, what I want to go over is four unexpected benefits of using Kickstarter to launch a product and uh, and talk a little bit about whether Kickstarter or just crowdfunding in general is the right fit for you. Okay. Now, I know that the obvious benefit of Kickstarter is that you raise money necessary. So when you talk about four unexpected benefits, what what are you referring to? Well, yes, you're right. Um, the One of the most common expected benefits of using Kickstarter is to raise money. But I want to talk about four that are uh, benefits that you might not expect but are, but are really, really helpful to a project creator and someone like me who is regularly launching products and trying to grow a company out of this. Okay, what are those four? All right, so um, let, me, let me briefly summarize the four, and then we'll just jump in and, and start talking uh, about them in more detail. So the first is that it allows you to gauge demand before you actually manufacture. The second, it allows you to improve your product according to demand or feedback from backers, and this has been really helpful for me, and I'm really excited to talk about a lot of those details. The third, uh, it, it allows you to ship products with maximal efficiency. And this might not seem like it's that big of a deal, but the shipping costs and freight costs that go into delivering a a consumer product or physical product are a large proportion of where that money goes. So this is really important. And then the fourth is that it allows you to tap into an audience that normally you might not be able to tap into or wouldn't be available to you. Okay. So let's start with number one, gauge demand before you manufacture. That's right. So I run a publishing company and we publish board games, right? Now, now here's how the model traditionally works. You have an idea for a game. You get your art assets together, your play testing. You've got those files ready. You send them to the manufacturer and you're, and you're ready to start printing, right? Well, do you print 1,500 copies? Do you print 5,000 copies? Do you print 15,000? A lot of times it seems like this question is just a, a, you know, a shot in the dark, But part of the beauty of Kickstarter is that um, you can identify how many of your core audience, how many backers from your core audience are are pledging at that campaign. And so you'll know at least what the minimum amount is, and then you can gauge off of that minimum amount how many extra copies you'd want for retail or for distribution. You know, I believe that this is probably one of the single most important aspects of Kickstarter. Yes, it helps you raise money, but more than anything, it gives you data. That's right. I'm in the tech industry. Uh, Genius, you're in Genius Games, uh, board game manufacturing. In the tech industry, we say now that every business is about data. That every business is in the business of data. No matter if you're the NFL with a, you know doing football or if you're making board games, you are in the business of data. And I know, and you probably can illuminate this as a board game publisher. It is impossible, nearly impossible, to get any data out of the current system when it comes to uh, board games and distribution and retail. That's right. It is. It, it's an antiquated system, um, and it's it is really hard. There are some tools to get sales 
tracking information from Amazon and from some of your direct-to-consumer platforms. Um, some of the some of the distributors do provide a little bit, but you're right. I mean, uh, that you have to really demand and ask for that information um, to to get to get anything good. But when you use Kickstarter, you have direct access to pretty much everything. Um, and not only that, but if you have Google Analytics set up, you can pretty much see every person that comes to your Kickstarter ca campaign and where they come from and how they got there. There's tons of analytics that you that you get out of it. You know, I'm always shocked when I talk to somebody and I ask, well, how much traffic are you getting to your website right now? Well, I don't know. Well, how much, how, mu how much response are you getting from your emails or how much response are you getting from posts that you do on social media? I don't know. I'm like, wow, how can you, I mean, how are you making decisions with that data just flowing past and you're not even dipping into? I think that is such an incredible opportunity that Kickstarter provides that it overcomes almost every other objective if you're not on Kickstarter is that you get data. And I, I agree with you 100% on that one. That's right. What's number two? All right, so number two, um, it allows you to improve your product according to demand or feedback. So one of the one of the really interesting things um, I have now um, about fourteen or fifteen products out there on the market, and we will have printed a product maybe two or three years ago, and someone will email us with an idea or with something that needs to be fixed, even just some grammar error or something like that from, from, from a product we printed years ago. And at that point, there's really just nothing you can do about it. You can fix it when you remanufacture, but, but it's already on the store shelf or it's already in Amazon. You know, what do you do? And a lot of those ideas that come from customers, I mean, remember the people who pay for that product, they are financially invested in that product, right? They want that product to be the best that it can be because they paid money for it. Well, backers, you get feedback from them, the people who are investing in this product, who are paying money for this product, you get feedback and, um, and advice from them about your product before you actually manufacture. This is huge with, with, with our backers, we try and, and um, get them to give feedback on our rule book. Um, how are things clear? Are, do things make sense? Does the, does the images make sense? Um, we specifically publish games that are accurately themed around science. And so we have a large team of reviewers, science reviewers. And these are all people that were backers of our campaigns that love what we're doing and they want to be a part of it. So this is, this is an incredible untapped network of people who are who are ready and willing to give you feedback to give you advice to make that thing better and just to find issues right and just to find issues before you actually manufacture okay so a couple of challenges with that one why can't i just do that before i put the project on kickstarter well you should be so you you are not wrong you should be doing that before you put the product on kickstarter but here's a here's a few counterpoints number one once someone pays money for that they're going to be financially interested in it, right? You might have a lot of people who you really want feedback from, but they just don't have the time or um, it's hard to get a hold of them. But these are people who have already said, I want that product, right? And by asking that group of people, hey, who's interested in um, helping to read the rule book? Who's interested in giving feedback on this? Hey, I've got a question about this thing. Do you like this cover better or this cover better? Those are people that, that have already said, I'm willing. I am here. I have put money up to get this product. And, and it's a, a community of people who already love what you're doing. Now, I see. Okay, I agree with that. I hate to say but, but I see so many Kickstarter projects that are out there that are essence have already developed the product and they're using Kickstarter as a, as we refer to it, as a go-to-market vehicle 
um, that the product's oftentimes already manufactured, that it's on its way from China or wherever it's going. And Kickstarter is just a way for them to raise the money to, to kind of finalize bringing it to market, not actually the development of it. Right. And so how have you – how has – Genius Games specifically address that. Do you give a little bit more leeway and actually use Kickstarter to raise the money before you go into final production? Yes. So we try and have the files as finished as possible to manufacture before we go into the Kickstarter campaign. But we we want our backers to review those things and give feedback. Now, if if it is the case, I know there are a lot of companies out there that will actually start manufacturing. They'll have a few thousand units on hand. But again, you know, it, it's a model. Sure. It, it, is it really effective? Well, it gets you, it does get you to market quicker. But again, that first point, gauging demand before you manufacture, maybe you manufactured way too many. Maybe you manufactured way too few. Because I guarantee you that if you decide to only manufacture 1,500 and you have 4,000 backers, you're going to have a tough decision on your hand. Yeah. And we're, yeah. We're, we're seeing that with a lot of Kickstarter projects that have, not a lot, but those that have become very successful, that demand is outstripping a 10 to 1 ratio. Absolutely. It makes it really hard. And, and it is, it, there's no easy answer, but this is, a, again, coming back to data, that's going to be my theme for this episode. Right. Is that this is giving you data. And so the, the speed to market, unless you're competing, unless you've got it, there's another project out there that's similar to yours, if you've got the time, I mean, speed to market is a relative term. It's an artificial, it's an artificial uh, date that you've set. The market, this will hit the market on this date. Well, you get to pick that date. If you pick it earlier or later, does it really matter? I guess it does if there's cash flow and other things. But I, I like what you're saying is that you get yourself more data, particularly, and I'm thinking of Genius Games because you do have a lot of details that are specific, that you need an extra set, one more set of eyes on people who are going to be buying that for a very reason because they know that topic. And then they're going to say, hey, that is wrong. Yeah. I like that. Okay. What do we got for number three? All right. Number three, it allows you to ship products with maximal efficiency. So there's a number of things we could talk about here. Um, but first, let me just take a step back and, and talk about why this is an issue in the first place. So if we were to ship a, let's say a two pound product, which is probably the average weight of a, um, of a board game here in the U S unless you're Gloomhaven, then it's 10, Gloomhaven. then it's 10 times that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I don't even want to know what their shipping model is like for that game. Um, you're probably going to spend anywhere between, you know, eight to $13 shipping that game some, from, from one address to another address in the U S um, that's a that's a chunk of change. If that is say a thirty a thirty dollar or a forty dollar game, and you gave a decent discount on the Kickstarter campaign, let's say it's thirty bucks, that roughly thirteen dollars is more than a third of the total cost of of that game, right? Um, now let's let's talk about outside the U.S. You're you're going to have hopefully a lot of interest in Canada. You're going to have a lot of interest in the U.K. and and uh, countries across Europe and Australia, New Zealand, countries across Asia. Asia, right? There's hopefully there's going to be a lot of demand elsewhere. Well, are you going to ship those products to those backers from the U.S.? If so, you should be looking to pay about forty to fifty dollars to ship that two-pound game from the U.S. to a customer, say in Germany or in the U.K. Um, I mean, it's it's really not cheap when you look at everything that goes into shipping those products. But how does? I mean, I would think this is counterintuitive then, because I would think that Kickstarter just exacerbates that problem. 
Well, that is uh, a very good point, but let me tell you why it actually doesn't and how it, it makes it, it gives you the opportunity to ship with maximal efficiency. So when you manufacture those products and we manufacture all of our products in China, it's very difficult and, and not cost effective for us at all to manufacture these products in the US for a number of reasons. And we'll talk about all those in a separate episode. We manufacture everything in China. From that point, what we do is we know exactly how many backers we have in each of the regions of the world that we need product to. Um, Europe is one of our regions. North America is one of our regions. Australia, New Zealand is one of our regions. Uh, and Asia is, is one of our regions that ships to a lot of different areas throughout the world who don't fall into the regions that we just talked about. Now, what we can do is we can create a single shipment directly from China to the International Fulfillment Center in those regions. So we have one in Germany that fulfills through all that fills all of Europe. Um, Brexit might cause some problems coming up here when we have backers in the UK, but hey, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Right now, we, we can still ship without problem from, from Germany. Um, we have a fulfillment center, Snakes and Lattes, in, in Canada, um, and then as well as one in um, Australia and, and Asia. It, it is very cost effective to get product from China to those fulfillment centers in bulk. Right. And then we then um, offset the, that that couple dollars to the backer. That's part of their shipping cost. And and then instead of it costing, like we said earlier, upwards of forty dollars to ship that one game from the U.S. to Germany to that German backer, it will only cost seven, eight, nine dollars to ship that same game from a German um, fulfillment center to a German backer. And then a little bit more to ship it out to the other customers in the in the EU. Now, one of the other things to keep in mind is this idea of friendly shipping. If we were to ship a product from the U.S. to a customer in the European Union, they will pay a 20% VAT tax, value-added tax, on top of both the, the retail value of that game or product or whatever it is, plus the shipping. So if it's a $40 product and you tack on another $40 for shipping, um, that's $80 total. They're going to pay 20% of that in addition when that package um, arrives at their post office or, wh or wherever it is. And each country is a little bit different on how they cover that. And we've heard a lot of different stories from backers who had issues trying to pick up packages from the post office. But when that product is shipped from within the EU, we pay the VAT tax on the manufacturing cost when we get it into that fulfillment center, which is a much, much lower um, um, price, right? The manufacturing cost. And then that German fulfillment center delivers it to that customer without them having to go to the post office and pay the VAT tax to pick it up. It's a very efficient system. It allows us to get, I would probably say, 20, 30, 40% more backers internationally knowing that these, these products are going to be shipped from a much closer depot than from the United States. You know, uh, one topic we want to talk about is that if I have a smaller units, I'm a smaller, I don't have that option. How would I... There's got to be ways to bundle with other publishers who are doing it. Like if I'm publishing my game and you're publishing your game at the same place, can I piggyback on you? Would that be a topic for us to talk about in the future? Yes. And that is something that we have done in the past. Okay. Um, Greater Than Games here in St. Louis, we have shared freight containers from China to the U.S. Um, you also have, you have groups like Quartermaster Logistics 
they um, I think his name is Seth. Seth will actually help coordinate things like this and advise you through this process. Um, so they'd be a great group to reach out to if maybe you have a smaller campaign, um, but you still want to do this and they have other larger campaigns they're doing this for. I, I think that would be a great thing to reach out to Seth or one of these other logistics companies that, that do this international fulfillment for Kickstarter campaigns. We'll have to have Seth come on the show and talk about that. That'd be great. Absolutely. All right. Before we run out of time, number four. Tap into audience you wouldn't normally be able to access. What does that mean? Yes. Okay. So this is this is a very important um, topic. So you've got an idea for a product. You know who your target customer is. Um, you really want to have a successful campaign and reach new people, right? Well, a lot of times, let's just say I publish a board game and I really want you know small business news or some media outlet to cover me, and they say, well, why? What's newsworthy about this? What's noteworthy about this? Um, or there's a big influencer who I really want to um, tweet about or do an Instagram post uh, uh, about my product or with my product. And again, the question is, well, like, are you going to pay me or what's, uh, why, why would I do that, right? Well, launching a Kickstarter campaign is a great platform to start a conversation with influencers and with media outlets. You now have something newsworthy. You now have something noteworthy. Hey, check out this Kickstarter campaign. I'm going to launch this crazy idea to do this crazy thing. I need X amount of dollars. Um, we'd love to see your support. Or, or, or curating these relationships with these retail outlets and with these influencers is something you can now do because you have something to create a conversation around. And, and that's really important because Coming into Kickstarter, one of the things that, that one of the ways that we really, really grew our company is by using our our organic audience to launch the product to get us close to that funding goal or over that funding goal, right? Knowing that we have that backer base to to, to make that game and to make it a success, and then using that event, the Kickstarter campaign, and the fact that we our audience has already supported us enough to hit our funding goal, we use that 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 noteworthiness to reach out to influencers and media outlets. And they're much more willing and likely to cover us when they see that we are a credible company who launched a Kickstarter campaign, we've, we've had previous successes, um, and, and, and we're funded, right? Um, so, it, so it provides a really great platform for a conversation with a lot of these outlets that you might not normally be able to reach. And you've been able to do that because of the nature of your games, uh, very successful with the science, because of your science community, you've just gotten huge exposure way outside the board game space. Right, that's right. And that's one thing that we do specifically is is we target and focus influencers who are in the the science arena or um you know so hopefully some celebrities uh, Bill Nye and um and people like that um that are in the science arena or Facebook groups um, or media outlets like Science Magazine and Science News, um, both of which have covered some of our products. These are outlets that might not might not really have a reason, but when they see the distinct nature of our product and the noteworthiness of the event, the Kickstarter launch, it becomes much more appealing to them. Excellent. This has been great. Um, in summary, as we wrap this up, we've, we've had the, these four ideas that you've talked about, these four um, unexpected benefits. Gauge demand before you manufacture. Number two, improve your product according to demand or feedback. Number three, ship products with maximal efficiency. And number four, tap into the audience you wouldn't normally be able to reach. That's right. I think these have been great. Um, what are we going to – okay, so we're about out of time. What are we going to cover next time? 
So next time, I would like to talk about the five attributes that make a great product for Kickstarter. So I've seen a lot of projects out there. I've done a lot of consulting. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask, hey, you know, will my idea work? You know, how do I launch this on Kickstarter? Well, a lot of times my advice is pretty similar for, for, for some of them, and that's it's just not a good idea for Kickstarter. What you want to do is not a good idea. So what I want to talk about is here are the five things that make a great product that I think will do well on Kickstarter and that we have seen success over and over again through our company and so many other companies. All right, I'm looking forward to that one. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. I'm Richard Bliss. And I'm John Covey. And we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening.